turn in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. Today's sermon is going to be complex, I'm afraid. It shouldn't be, but it, it will be. And so to, to better illustrate what I'm trying to accomplish in the message, I'm going to have a PowerPoint. Uh, there are some people that love PowerPoints, some people that hate them. So uh, choose your own adventure today. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. If you're physically able, out of reverence for God's word, I'm going to read from the, the new NIV today. Luke 11, 14 through 23. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, yeah, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking him for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before your words today, seeking your will and your way, asking to be enlightened so that we might be your people, so that we might see people the way you see them. To those ends we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Today I am uh, going to talk about what I believe, anecdotally speaking, what is the most neglected topic in all of Christianity? This topic is something that people don't talk about, they don't discuss, they avoid, they ignore, they misunderstand, and that is the kingdom of God. You've got to understand the kingdom of God in order to understand our future, our present, how we pray, our relationship to each other. The kingdom of God is the, the lens by which we understand the church. Now this is just a look at the usage of kingdom of God in the Gospel of Luke until Luke chapter 16. The next slide shows all these verses where the kingdom of God is manifested. And that's just 16. If I went to 17 to the end of Luke, there would be more and that's not to mention Acts, which Luke also wrote. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is I'm not picking out some obscure passage about the kingdom of God and talking about it. It's in there. It's really in there. In fact, the kingdom of God is super important. So why is it that we don't talk about the kingdom of God? I think because some people think of it as too complex. That's nah, too complex. 
let's just talk about these other analogies that we we use we talk about the church as a business we talk about the church as an institution we talk about the church as a family we talk about the church as an organism but we don't ever talk about the church as the kingdom of God and I think that's mistaken I think we have dumbed down the church to little billboards little signs one little word that says it all one little analogy one little logo the church and Christians are a part of something incredible a kingdom of God so if not now when do we learn about the kingdom of God and maybe the question could be translated this way when do we begin to teach a child their place in society when do you teach a child the importance of being an American citizen or the importance of being a member of your family is it civics 101 you remember the cartoon I'm just a bill I'm just a bill just an ordinary big I learned a lot from that little cartoon I think on my honor I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country whoops I forgot, I forgot the rest that's the first half that might be Cub Scouts Boy Scouts I don't even know Boy Scouts when do you begin to teach somebody where they belong inside society when do you teach your child what it is to be a member of this family some families still do family reunions they get together and one of the things that happen in a family reunion is you cherish the older and you bless the younger if we don't begin to teach people about the kingdom of God then people will start to use human analogies for the church and Christianity They'll talk about the church as an organization. How do we survive as an organization? How do we pay the bills? How do we grow as an organization? How do we advertise as an organization? Some churches <coughs> wrongly embrace <coughs> the idea that the church is a political arm. We've got to get the, the church together to vote our candidate in or to vote that candidate out. We've got to be politically active. We are an extension of a political party. Those are all wrong analogies. There might be truth in all of them, but they're wrong. The best analogy is the one that Jesus came up with, which is kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's rule or God's kingly power over his creation. When I say kingdom of God, I'm saying that it is God in charge, God reigning, God ruling, God doing. And that's what we want in this life. When we pray, thy will be done, we're actually asking that God would rule, he would intervene, he would take control. And in the church, we want to be the kingdom of God, not the exclusive kingdom of God. There's churches all over, everywhere. But at this church, at the Fable Christian Church, we want God to reign. We want him to rule. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You probably memorized this verse when you were young. Matthew 6, 33, and it reads like this. 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, how do you seek his kingdom? His kingdom's up in heaven. You're not seeking for a place, but you're striving that God's will would happen. You're seeking God's will. What's God's will for my family? What's God's will for me? What's God's will for this church? What's God's will for this community? What's God's will for this country? What is God's will? And we're seeking, we're striving for God's will. We're not striving for a place. Because God's kingdom is just so much bigger. There's three manifestations. We lost the PowerPoint. <laughs> Trust me on this. There's three manifestations of God's kingdom. There's the eternal will of God, the eternal rule of God. There's the present rule of God. And there's the future rule of God. Let me try to explain a little bit of those. The first manifestation of God's kingdom is the eternal rule of God. In other words, God's always been in charge. Beginning, end, God's always been in charge. Eternal, you know what that means, without end. So as we sit here today and as we talk, God is not waiting to become king. God is king, Psalm 45, 145, 13. Your kingdom, God, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures forever. God is king. No matter what we see is going on in this world, that doesn't affect God. It doesn't take him off his throne. That's number one, the eternal rule of God. The number two is the present rule of God. We live in a rebellious time. We live in a time when people are turning away from God. But you and I, we take seriously our relationship with God. We know that we've entered a covenant relationship with God, and we're trying to obey him as best that we can. And in our lives, we want God to presently rule our life. I don't know about you, but I don't really contemplate whether I should obey the law or not. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody, but I know I'm trying to live like Jesus lived. So the idea that I shouldn't murder doesn't even, doesn't even affect me. I don't contemplate murder. I'm, instead, I want to live according to the rule of God. And when I live according to the rule of God, then I'm demonstrating his reign as king. That's the present rule of God. And the, the third one is the future rule of God. We know that someday Christ is going to return. Second coming, coming. He's going to judge the living and dead. And there will be no more earth as we know it. He will reign presently for all of us to see. The future rule of God. Now, I know some people are like, well... You know, you're just making this future thing because you're hoping that this will all happen. You're hoping that God will return. Some people reject Jesus because they're like, oh, that's just some kind of utopian dream. It's not. God's already demonstrated his interest in us by sending Jesus. And when Jesus was here, he was teaching us how to live. He was, he was doing miracles. He was defeating Satan. 
He was casting out demons. That's the whole passage about binding the strong man and the finger of God and the kingdom of God being in your midst. God has already shown his hand by doing it with Jesus. And when Jesus comes back again, it's going to be a whole new ball game. We're not just wishful thinking. God's already demonstrated his intervention. I don't know about you, but I can't stand movies that have time change. You know what I'm talking about? What's, what's the, the Avengers Endgame? And, and then there was, uh, what's the one wizard guy? Um, Doctor Strange. Natalie said, Dad, don't watch Doctor Strange until you watch this series of movies and you watch this movie and this movie because it's going to help you to understand how he acts in these times. I can't stand time change stuff. But we are smack in the middle of a weird time change thing. Don't lose me. Listen to this. God has won the war. God is king. God's kingdom is secure. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. We have nothing to fear. Our place is secure in the grace of Jesus Christ. But right now, we are living in occupied enemy territory. No matter how good this country is, we're in occupied territory. We are still being attacked by sickness and disease and death and evil. All these things that God never intended are doing us harm. We are in occupied territory. And we're just awaiting liberation to come. We're just waiting to be liberated from this place that we're in. So there's a future, but that future is really right now. We're just waiting. We're waiting for God. So what do we do with this whole kingdom of God kind of thing? I've tried to tell you that whether we recognize it or not, there is this thing called kingdom of God. But I want to encourage you now, when I close, to participate in this kingdom. The first way that we participate in it is we illustrate God's rule. You and I need to illustrate what it looks like to be a citizen in God's kingdom. We call that, I know we call it hypocrisy. We call it all kinds of things. You should be a good Christian person. You should let your light shine so that people give glory to God in heaven. There's all kinds of texts and stories that we, we tell to remind people to live the life. But what I want to tell you is when you live the life of devotion and obedience to God, you're illustrating to other people what it looks like in God's kingdom. So when we're, when we're sour, when we're mean, then somebody's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be a part of that kingdom. When we cheat, when we steal, when we lie, when we take advantage, then somebody says, I don't think I want to be a part of that kingdom. But when we love and embrace and forgive, then somebody says, aha, that's 
That's God's kingdom. We are God's illustration. The second thing that we do amidst God's kingdom, and I just can't overstate this enough, is we pray for God's kingdom. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not praying that God's kingdom is going to float down from the sky when we say that. We're not praying your kingdom, this location, this place would come. What we're praying when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, is we're praying the exact same thing in both sentences. We're praying that your will is done. As we know it's done in heaven, we are praying that it's done here and now. This is what Jesus tells us to pray. Oh, the church is just so negligent. We're like, oh, yeah, God knows what he's doing. I don't need to do, I don't need to pray. I don't need, whatever, God's got it all taken care of. Well, Jesus is the one that says we need to pray this way. We need to pray that God's will is done. And so we pray for our children and our grandchildren, our community. We pray, oh, God, that your will is done. We might think we know what that is. We might pray for certain things because we're reaching, we're, we're asking, we're hoping. We're hoping that God will fix it, but God knows exactly what the right solution is in every situation. So we pray for God's will. We pray God's kingdom come, God's will be done. My last thing, I think it's just the most important thing in the context of God's kingdom. That's the third thing, is we extend God's kingdom rule to other people. Not only do we illustrate it, not only do we pray for it, but we extend it. My brother Matt, many of you know him, is an Elvis impersonator, or I guess it's called a Elvis tribute artist is the proper term. And his hair is dyed. Don't, don't get mad at me if you thought that was natural. His hair is dyed and he's got the Elvis sideburns. He looks the part. So when I go out to eat with him or I go to Starbucks, I like to watch other people look at him because they're like, I wonder if he knows. And so I wait, I wait for the person. I'm fascinated with, you know, how people try to approach you like, hey, has anybody ever told you, you know, or there'll be like a table of girls and then one courageous one will come over and uh, people are, they just think it's the most interesting thing that my brother looks like Elvis. And of course, I've heard it all, and my brother's gracious about it. Yes, yeah, I do. Look, I try to look like him. Oh, you try? Yes, I do. I try. I guess what I'm trying to say with that story is that we need to treat other people in a way that is true. Other people look like. God. Listen, if you're human, you've been created in the image of God. And so you have some remarkably beautiful similarities with the divine. Somebody with all lives matter. Yes, all lives matter because all lives are created in the image of God. And how many times does a Christian stand in line at Walmart and despise the 30 people in front of them? They're like, can you not scan that? 
It's almost it creates a climate where you're almost hostile to other people. Last time I went to Walmart, they asked me to go and load the semi. No, it wasn't that bad, but we're getting close to that turning people against each other and therefore we don't treat people as image bearers of Christ we treat them as a problem or as a stranger or as a threat but we have this incredible opportunity because we know the truth of God's kingdom we know that that person is created in God's image they're intangibly beautiful because God said it to be so What a great opportunity we have before us to extend God's kingdom to people that don't even know it. Oh, man, it's great to be a part of God's kingdom. So much better than the conversations that people have about how to make the church succeed or strive or grow. Listen. Let's just get right back to basics. You be right with God. He's your king. You're his follower. And you extend that same love and mercy to other people. And you do that diligently. God's going to bless your efforts. God's going to bless you. We have the great privilege to extend God's rule to other people. I want to challenge you with that. I'm not against all these other analogies. But I think sometimes you should just go back to the basics and use the analogy that Jesus chose. A kingdom. And he's coming back. And like a good king, he's going to do justice. And he's going to divide his faithful servants from those that despised him and disowned him. And this morning, if you've not owned him, if you've not ever taken ownership of Christ as your king, we have an invitation for you. An invitation to be transformed, to be saved, to be added. The Bible would say that Jesus is the one that adds people to the church, a manifestation of his kingdom. Jesus is the one that adds people. That's how seriously he takes it. If if you're not saved, you're not a part. You don't belong. So I want to close the service with a challenge. Make sure that you accept Jesus Christ as your King, as your Lord, and as your Savior. Let's pray.